to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Born in 2008, the Indian Premier League, the IPL, is a professional T20 cricket league in India contested during March or April and May of every year by eight teams representing eight different cities in India. The IPL is the most attended cricket league in the world and is ranked as the sixth most attended sport in the world, beating out leagues like the MLB, NBA, NHL and La Liga. And in 2010, the IPL became the first sporting event in the world to be broadcast live on YouTube. The brand value of the IPL in 2019 was $6.7 billion US dollars, And research estimates that an IPL season across just 10 weeks of games contributes about 160 million US dollars into the GDP of the Indian economy. While many professional leagues employ a draft as one source of acquiring players, the IPL, along with trading players with other teams during the trading windows, sees teams compete at player auctions where players from all over the world sign up for the auction and also set their own base price and are bought by the franchise that bids the highest for them. Major auctions see teams spend in the region of 80 to 90 million US dollars. To say India is a cricket-mad country is putting it mildly. India is the second most populous country in the world, not far behind China, with about 1.3 billion people. Yet India is only about one-third of the size of China, and cricket is squarely and deeply rooted in the culture of those 1.3 billion people. The Rajasthan Royals are one of the eight teams in the IPL, and from a sponsorship perspective, they have a unique story in that they were the first team Red Bull have sponsored without actually owning the team. The Royals sometimes considered as the moneyball team of the IPL because they have a reputation of unearthing obscure, high-potential talent, have a real focus on evolving into a global brand, leveraging technology in their sponsorships and building partnerships through education, partnerships and academies. And joining us on the show to take us inside the Rajasthan Royals commercial program is their Chief Operating Officer, Jake Lush-McCrum. I'm Daniel Oyston and welcome to episode 85 of Inside Sponsorship. As always, it is amazing to have listeners from all over the world and as I said last episode, it feels like we're starting to warm up the sponsorship industry once again. And that has certainly rung true with many sports either restarting with or without crowds and others announcing plans to return soon. It all feels still a little bit weird, but I'm sure the return to live sport is a welcome one for all. Speaking about welcoming things, you know I welcome shout outs. So connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's Daniel O-Y-S-T-O-N. And let me know a little bit about yourself and I'll give you a shout out on the show, just like a few people, including Mike Watney, comms director at Fresh Junkie Racing, who are a brand committed to healthy living. And Mike connected with me on LinkedIn and wrote to me and said, you've put together a great podcast. The episode with one championship was very informative and I just finished the interview with Chris Bayless from the Sponsorship Collective. I was supposed to be at the partnership conference in April, but I guess that will happen at some point in the future. Yes, Michael, Chris does amazing work, and I'm sure lots of Canadians and others who are traveling there are looking forward to that event when it can happen. Thanks for reaching out. Brad McCabe, managing partner at Sponsor Circle, also connected with me on LinkedIn, which was great, and it was nice to hear that he's doing well. Thanks for connecting, Brad. And finally, Avi Francois Polak, Chief Commercial Officer at Iconic, a new fan engagement platform made for sport and entertainment fans. 
also connected with me on LinkedIn and he said he'd love to catch up on his next trip to Australia. That's a great idea, Arvi. I'd love that and I really do look forward to it. Well, before we hear from Jake Lashmacrum, the COO at the Rajasthan Royals, Core's latest sponsorship blog looks at some of the global sponsorship trends happening right now. But this one's a little bit different in that Instead of one author and one guest coming on the podcast, we have three. Not only is Daniel Collier-Hill, Core's Commercial Director, APAC, joining us to discuss trends in APAC, but so is Derek Stanick, Core Software's VP of Sales, to discuss trends in North America. And also Alex Hay, Core Software's VP Commercial and Strategy, EMEA, to discuss sponsorship trends across Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Let's start with Daniel for some context. Daniel Collier-Hill, welcome back to the show. Would you agree that looking at sponsorship trends is, look, it's always a great exercise, but do you agree that it is taking on more significance at a time like this because so many of us in the industry are looking for ways to to make every post a winner and get any advantage that we can in these tough times? So looking to others for best practice and, and inspiration in the trends that are happening can be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now more than ever is a time when you know no one's really got the advantage over another. There's none of that competitive advantage or market advantage because everyone's looking at, oh, what's such and such doing and you know how do we compare? Everyone's literally on the same level. I think as the world continues to come to grips with you know this new normal, and I say you know with quotation marks about this <laughs> podcast, you know, the, the sponsorship world is consequently experiencing side effects of a, a new social norm, new engagement activities, new appreciation for you know, just how much both sport and brands in general play a role in broader society. I think we're beginning to see certain reactions and responses gain traction and widespread adoption in turn, uh, forming an array of trends. Although geographically separate, there's that growing number of okay, well, we're starting to see everything mirror one another across APAC, North America, UK, and Europe. And so this blog that you've written or you've managed and pulled together, coordinated, it looks at the current international sponsorship trends. But you didn't go about this blog and this chat alone, did you? You roped in a few others from Core, from, from across the globe to provide their in-market views. Who did you get to help you? Yeah, that's correct. I wrote in Alex and, and Derek from our UK and North American teams. But I, I thought it'd be best that we hear directly from other, not like-minded professionals, but you know, people who've got some insight on the ground uh, and then also strategically as well. Uh, and you know, in, in a sense, they're, they're in the sponsorship world and talking to other professionals day in, day out. Excellent. And so first off, I spoke and caught up with Derek Stanick, VP Sales at Core, to provide his view on the North American market. So let's hear from Derek. Derek, welcome to the show. You join us and you're going to bring two trends from the North American market for the listeners to consider. What's the first one you've got for us? Thanks, Daniel. First one that I'm noticing over here in North America is really a noticeable shift in the landscape of, and growth of cause-related marketing. Great and terribly humbling example of this is the response to global protests over the death of George Floyd in the Black Lives Matter movement. We saw this a few years ago with the WNBA's Minnesota Lynx printing up warm-up shirts printed with Black Lives Matter, and change starts with us. More recently, NASCAR banning the use of Confederate flags. We are now, however, seeing this go global. We've seen Manchester City, Arsenal, and every other Premier League team in the first match back 
placing Black Lives Matter over the nameplates and player shirts. This suggests to me it's nearly impossible for brands and right holders not to address their position on how they're approaching this type of conversation. In fact, staying silent is being interpreted by the market as an actively opting out of the cause. I think that's a good point. And Derek, in the blog at coresoftware.com, you've provided a link to a video where ESPN FC's Shaka Hislop went on SportsCenter to talk about the English Premier League's decision to have Black Lives Matter on the back of the shirts and why it is a giant step for the organisation in embracing social issues. So listeners, please make sure you head along to the blog at coresoftware.com to check that video out. So that's the first trend that you're seeing, Derek. What's the other trend you're seeing in North America? The second trend I'm seeing is really a push towards performance-based sponsorship models. Whilst it's not a new concept, certainly to the blog here, and we've talked about it in the past, we are starting to see it more and more. A recent example of this is Nike replacing New Balance as Liverpool's official supplier. This increases the royalties based on the sale of licensed merchandise with further cash bonuses tied to on-field performance. With real dollars being attributed towards these types of outcomes, it is critical that both brands and right holders alike are very clear in the way they're tracking the success. While larger brands like AB and to have or Nike tend to have resources to track and measure these incentives in a variety of different ways, what's a bit more unclear to me is how smaller brands looking to replicate this model will be able to do so. Clearly, identifying the incentives, data associated with those deals, how they will be tracked and measured and reported back to both parties is something we've seen here at CORE as becoming more and more critical to the conversation. I think that's a good point about how the smaller brands that are involved in sponsorship are going to replicate those models. So Derek, two very interesting trends for the audience to consider coming out of North America, they being cause-related campaigns and a push towards performance-based sponsorship models gaining more and more momentum. Derek, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Daniel. And then I spoke to Alex Hay, VP Commercial and Strategy EMEA at Core on his view of the European, Middle East and Asian markets. So let's now hear from Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. You're based in London, but your role covers Europe, the Middle East and Asia. So it's a lot of territory to cover. No pressure. What's the first trend that you're seeing in your region at the moment? G'day, mate. Thanks uh, very much for having me. So the first major trend that I'm seeing across my region is audience analysis. I think it stems from the UK and, and the EMEA really being one of the most, uh, I guess, competitive sponsorship landscapes in the world just because of, I suppose, the size of the audiences in terms of, you know, traditionally TV especially. And I think brands, they're expecting more from their rights holders, especially in terms of, you know, driving business outcomes and, and you know, that original kind of TV audience figure, you know, just isn't enough. So it's sort of expected that the right sort of do come to the table with with more of an understanding about things like audiences, you know, evidence to show they've been engaged with brand messages, activations, campaigns, et cetera. And for rights holders, it just means understanding fans, age, location, interests, spending patterns, purchase history a lot more deeply than traditionally they would have sort of five or, or ten years ago. Interesting and definitely something where I think the trend is a good one that we're seeing, considering that these days we have so much more of an ability to to track audiences and actually mine and do something with the data that we're collecting rather than just collecting it because we can and not really understanding what we should or, or can do with it even. So it makes sense to me. Alex, what's the second trend you're seeing in your region? So the second 
one that I'm seeing in the region is is new job titles coming up, and and I think it is somewhat of a byproduct of the first in terms of understanding understanding uh, the audiences and and those new job job titles that I'm referring to are, are things like uh, IT strategy director, digital transformation lead, IT digital transformation director, and and all those sorts of job titles, and and I think that's a real reflection of the EMEA region sort of looking towards what especially the US and you know APAC are really have been excelling in over the past few years and recognizing that they do need to be more informed about their fans and whether that's looking at you know just just having more data to mine from a you know about their fans they understand them better from a, from an internal standpoint so they can you know, commercialize their fans and, and obviously ultimately sell potentially to sponsors or to other third parties. It's all it's almost really coming down to a, a quality versus quantity debate instead of it being those just selling those TV audiences that I was talking about before, rather than being objectives or outcomes focused. Focusing time, energy and budget on understanding, you know, the behaviors of their audience that can then be used for commercial intelligence is what I think is definitely a, a sort of a key major trend in this market and, and something that will definitely be be growing over the next few years. Two very interesting trends indeed for our audience to consider coming out of EMEA and that, just to recap, is audience analysis and new job titles. Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And finally, as a stalwart of the show, we are back to you, <laughs> Daniel Collier-Hill, Director, Commercial and Strategy, APAC at CORE, to get your views on the trends in the APAC region. What are you seeing at the moment? What's your first one? Well, number one, wow, look at the titles between all three of us. I think we effectively do the same thing, and I'll tell you what, we've been creative <laughs> in the first sense. Number one's repurposing of assets. So with COVID-related restrictions forcing changes to various categories of assets, literally every property and sponsorship has resorted to repurposing assets, creative, activation builds, you know, and, and, and literally everything else. Uh, a flexible strategy and an adaptation of whatever was originally planned has been the, the cornerstone of thousands of people keeping their jobs and allowing branded messages to remain part of that B2C effort. I think... The impending challenge for right holders, brands and agencies will be deciding on when do we actually return to normal or whether that actually happens. In Australia and New Zealand, sport has resumed. Small crowds are starting to come back as restrictions continue to ease. And at some point in Australia, we will get back to capacity crowds. New Zealand already is and they're definitely leading the way. Busy concourses and fun-filled activations at the front of stadiums, they're going to come back. However, it still takes time, effort and resources to create and produce. So the question that everyone really needs to start answering is when on earth do we start this planning? Because it can't just turn to a, oh, well, we're now out of COVID. Let's just go back to normal or let's just do X, Y and Z. There has to be a lot of planning in place before that happens. It's a big question and it is a tough one, but it is a well-placed question as well. I would agree with you. So, okay, you're seeing a lot of repurposing of assets in APAC at the moment. That makes sense. What's the second trend you're seeing? So this is probably something that's probably more on the brands and agency side. I guess there's an argument that it's for right holders as well, but lead times are getting smaller. And it's something of a byproduct of the workforce getting smaller and the greater need to respond to cultural and environmental trends. 
that the lead time from creating an idea in a meeting room to execution and then seeing it come to life is just getting shorter and shorter. Brands and agencies are seeing some really amazing campaigns turned around in less than two weeks, which for me speaks to the ability of you know brainstorming, collecting data and producing quality work first time around. The same expectation will soon be expected of rights holders as they welcome back staff, inefficient whips, copying and pasting the same activations or super basic campaigns will not cut it anymore. And I don't mean to sound abrupt, but like their counterparts, the need to develop ideas and execute the builds quickly and efficiently while still at a reasonably high standard is going to be so important for so many rights holders. Very interesting. So, Daniel, to round this out, are you seeing this is a move towards being better in the long run and this will hopefully maybe a little bit of of what becomes normal in the way we go about things or these are things that are occurring and being adjusted now simply to survive and get us through COVID-19 and then when things kind of go back to the way they were, we'll just fall back into the same old habits. I really hope it's not the latter. I think Alex, Derek and myself, you know, all discussing different trends. And it's a really good question. And I think we're all in agreement that it's going to be a shift for the long term and in a better sense. While COVID is, you know, no doubtedly been devastating for the sports industry, one positive that we spoke about at the very beginning was the effect that it's had on the status quo. It's forced both brands and rights holders and agencies to rethink how they execute sponsorships, both from a you know, strategic perspective and then also from a commercial or a marketing perspective. No longer can the industry just move from season to season or year to year doing the same thing and shunning innovation or change. The current environment has forced creativity and in many cases stronger and closer relationships between brands and rights holders, which has been super awesome to see. Um, There's so many great examples of how approaches have changed, the trends that are emerging, and hopefully those positive approaches really mean that we emerge from COVID because of it and, and it will sort of make our industry a lot stronger, a lot smarter and a lot more effective. Great stuff, Daniel. And also thanks to Derek and Alex for also coming on the show and to all of you for helping write the blog and sharing the trends from your own perspective in your respective markets. And listeners, if you'd like to mull over those in slow time and read the team's blog, simply head to coresoftware.com and head to the blog link under the resource section. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. What's in the diary at the moment? What have you got planned? What's on the horizon? Anything cool happening? Well, as restrictions start to come back, we can start going back to pubs and having lunches and coffee. So uh, I'm scrambling trying to find to see who else wants to venture outside the, the home office. Very good. And you're based in Melbourne. So rights holders, brands, agencies, if you want to connect, get in contact with Daniel. He'll buy you a coffee, guaranteed. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks very much. With a population of 1.3 billion, India is a cricket-mad country and cricket is squarely and deeply rooted in their culture. The Indian Premier League is the most attended cricket league in the world and is ranked as the sixth most attended sport in the world. The Rajasthan Royals are one of eight teams in the IPL and from a sponsorship perspective, they have a unique story in that they were the first team Red Bull have sponsored without actually owning the team. It's quite an achievement. The Royals, sometimes considered as the Moneyball team of the IPL, because they have a reputation of unearthing obscure, high-potential talent, have a real focus on evolving into a global brand, leveraging technology into their partnerships, and building partnerships through education and academies. And I don't want to steal his thunder too much, but the Rajasthan Royals Chief Operating Officer, Jake Lushmacrum, an Englishman, 
hasn't followed a traditional sport management pathway in his career, yet it is clear that he brings something very special to the organization. Here's Jake. Jake, welcome to the show. We always start the interviews with a few icebreaker questions just to help the audience get to know you a little bit. Your first icebreaker as the COO of the Rajasthan Royals, when you're not busy with all the important franchise stuff like player trading and building strategy for player auctions and sponsorships and general business operations, what sport do you like watching? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. Unsurprisingly, I'm a, I'm a massive sports fan, so I will watch pretty much whatever's on. I think my favorite sports to watch are, are football and cricket. Football-wise, I do support a couple of teams, which I know isn't really allowed, but I support um, QPR, who many people may not have heard of, but they're a championship football team and, and someone I've supported since birth and my dad supports. And I also support Liverpool, who I would note again, I've supported since four. So they weren't all happy days. <laughs> it will be an interesting one when, when Liverpool finally lift the trophy this year. I've seen a few um, socially distant celebrations from the Austrian league and other leagues. So it won't quite be you know, that, that Premier League title lifting experience we wanted. But given the current situation, it's, it's great that the Premier League's back and actually lifting sort of the nation, I think, at the moment. And hopefully Liverpool win a couple of games in the next two weeks and, and lift the trophy. Here, here. It is great to have a lot of live sport back and particularly the football and seeing Liverpool win that competition. Jake, your second icebreaker question is, you need to invite three current Royals players over to your house for dinner. Who are you inviting firstly and why? And what are you going to cook them for dinner? So I'm going to assume that teleportation is possible here. So <laughs> there's no sort of risk, <laughs> risk of COVID on flights. So I'm going to, well, you know, I, I would like to invite Varun Aaron. However, he is a, a bit of a chef himself. And so I think he'd be um, testing out my food a bit too in too much detail. So I'm going to avoid him on this one. I think I'm going to have Robin Itapa there because he is he's just such a, a great character to have. And his, his energy is amazing and he's great in terms of conversation. And he's got some amazing stories from his sort of cricket journey. So he, he'd certainly be there. I think I'd have Rian Parag there because he's, he's an entertainer as well. And I think if, if any music went on within about three seconds, he'd be up dancing along, <laughs> um, whether, it, whether it's with his cuddly toys or not. He's a great laugh. And then I'd probably go for, I would normally have Ish Sodi, but he's no longer a player. He's our spin consultant. But he's, again, fantastic, to, fantastic character, great fun, and, and a great rapper as well. So that's my entertainment sorted. But if not, I'd probably go Shreyas Gopal. Because, again, lots of fun, gets on well with all the other guys, and, um, yeah, good, good mates of mine. So those are really my three. And then in terms of what I'm cooking up, I think it's going to be pretty pretty simple. I'd go for a sort of bruschetta and tomatoes with olive oil for a starter. Nice. Um, probably a – I'd probably go for a steak and chips. Um, I think I, I mean, the steak would be rare. Um, I think that's important. And um, and then for dessert, I'm, I've, I've made a delicious, if I say so myself, peach um, and apricot sponge cake recently oh. um, during lockdown. So I might just repeat that one because it went down well. Went down well here. Very good. Well, I've had my dinner, but I'm suddenly hungry again, Jake. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me saying, and I'm, I'm probably putting you on the spot a little bit here, but 
your history, your employment history and your pathway doesn't look traditional in terms of working your way up through and across various sporting organisations. Fill the listeners in on what your background is and then let us in on what it is you think the organisation was attracted to in having you as their COO? It certainly has been a different journey to most. I've, I've always been very passionate around sports and I did, despite studying economics university during my year abroad in the US, I did study a lot of sports management, sports entrepreneurship there. So it was always there in my mind. However, you know, going in sort of first job after uni, there wasn't a role within sports, which I really felt fitted my profile experiences and skills. So I went into a more sort of fintech company where I, I worked within the Blenheim Child Court portfolio in one of the companies there, which happens to have Manoj Badali, who, who runs it, who's the lead owner of the Rajasthan Royals. So I was working in one of the, the companies there. Then I moved into the investment arm. So I worked on the strategy of um, five or six of the businesses, did M&A, worked on sort of business plans, looked at new ventures. And so got a really good grasp of sort of what a, a well-run business looks like, how you scale up a business, and how you really implement the structure and processes to, to globalize a business. And hence, when Manoj asked me to come out to the Royals, it was meant to be a five-month project originally. And again, relaunching in 2018, it was ensuring the Royals have the right structures and processes in place, bring across as many learnings as possible from the UK and US in terms of what the best sports organizations are doing, and relaunch the, relaunch the franchise. The five months went, went rather well. And then I became general manager, overseeing sort of cricket operations and, and, and other areas of the business and progressed through to COO. So I didn't sort of join directly into this role. I, I have progressed through the organization, but still it's been a different and, and fantastic journey. I think openly one year working in India, probably you gain as much experience as five years in the UK, just because it's the, the amount of, oh, it's just, it's intense. The relationships are different there's a lot of challenges but the responsibility you get and the learnings you get are just immense and it's fantastic fun as well the cultures are amazing the food's incredible and then the atmosphere which i'm sure we'll talk about at some point of the ipl is, is sort of next level so it's been a yeah it's been an interesting journey i, I speak to a few people who tell me i should be writing a book already about what, <laughs> what i've been through i think it's a little bit a little bit early for that but um Maybe I should start writing a diary because some of the stories are certainly, let's just say, um, a lot of fun. I love that the franchise was proactive in in looking for skills outside of the sports industry instead of what we quite often and traditionally see them looking to promote people from from other sporting roles. I think that is fantastic. So from a franchise perspective and your day-to-day work, what are you looking forward to the most when there's no more COVID-related restrictions in place or that they've at least relaxed enough to see the IPL return? Firstly, just note that despite COVID restrictions, it has been a a very busy time for us. And despite IPL being a 10-week tournament, we are building our franchise so it is active 365 days of the year and engage our audience all around the globe. So for example, we've recently launched two online education courses in sports marketing and are looking to expand um, further courses in that area. That was in partnership with Deakin University, who's I'm sure you know one of the leading sports universities in Australia, um, if not the leading. So we've, we've launched that. We're actually launching a, a digital academy in the next couple of weeks, 
where we're going to give players around the world the opportunity to send videos into our coaches and get feedback on that. So that's, a, again, a really um, exciting and, and also scalable opportunity. Obviously, we've been investing a lot in digital and, and we were lucky enough to be able to have our pre-IPR training camp before COVID got to India. So we got about 300 hours of content from that, which we've been able to engage our fans with, seeing new players like Robin Utapa, Yashasvi Jaiswal, Akash Singh, Kartik Tiagi, Anid Rawa, all of these guys has been sort of fantastic for our fans in a way we've differentiated ourselves from the other franchises. Um, and also we managed to get our kits produced before this camp, which, mean, which meant all our close sponsors got fantastic reach. So that's the sort of, we've actually been doing a huge amount um, despite the COVID restrictions. But in terms of what I'm excited for when they do relax, I think firstly, it's been great to see players around the world be able to be back in the nets. And that's been a huge positive for their mental mental health in general and positive feeling. And then, you know, seeing, I mean, England will be playing a test match in two weeks' time, which is is great for, for cricket in this country and hopefully recreational cricket returns soon. But, I mean, what we're all looking forward to is, is hopefully getting an IPL date in a diary for, for when that will happen. And then, it, then we have a date to really drive towards both from a cricket front, but also a sponsorship front and all other areas of the business. So, yeah, what would be fantastic is in two, three weeks' time, we have the IPL announced, we've got dates locked in the diary, and we can really plan for that and plan for a tournament I think will be so important to, to lifting India as a nation and give them something to really look forward to and get excited about. It is going to be good watching some cricket, Jake. Now, the Royals do some great things on the digital and the technology front. And you recently spoke at Sport Techie's Horizon Summit on insights into an IPL franchise. How was that experience? Yeah, that was fantastic. We've got a great relationship with the San Francisco 49ers who were co-partnering with Sports Techie on that Horizon Summit. And, and I've had a few trips out to the US and built some great relationships with um, the 49ers and, and a number of other teams over there because, you know, we do think the U.S. lead the way in terms of innovation in sports and hence the more we can learn from them and then hopefully in the future be driving the innovation ourselves and um, the better. I think what was what was really fascinating was the response I got after doing the talk was how excited so many individuals in teams or brands were by having someone talk about cricket at such a big U.S. summit. I think it's you know it's potentially the first time ever that a cricket franchise or, or team has spoken at such events. So that was really positive to see how engaged the brands were around it and around India as a proposition. And I'm really excited with all the talks we're having post that with, with both brands on the sponsorship side, but also teams sharing innovations and, and different companies we can work with who are, who are developing these innovations. So yeah, it was a great, great learning experience. I um, really enjoyed talking to everyone after it and have um, yeah, benefited a lot from, from being part of the, the fantastic event. Well, I imagine some of the brands there, you spoke about their excitement and, and around the engagement of a cricket franchise speaking there and the possibilities on India, probably because of the sheer volume of people in the country. You mentioned it or alluded to it a little bit earlier about the intensity of the market. Cricket fans know that India is and I use this phrase lightly, a cricket mag country, and we see the crazy scenes at IPL games on TV. But tell us, when you first walked into a stadium on a game day and saw and felt that atmosphere for yourself firsthand, what was it like? Incredible. 
I think that's that's one word to, to describe it. It was it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Like I've been to a lot of sports matches all around the world, but this was something. It was something else. Um, and what what's amazing to to the Aussie fans, the U, US fans, and the UK fans listening would be, you know, the noise is there, the atmosphere is there, the passion's there, and there's zero alcohol sold in the stadium. <laughs> so it it is it is just pure passion for the sport and for the team. And the energy is just, it's incredible. And, and given the fact it's often sort of 35, 40 degree heat and matches going on for three and a half hours and they're just roaring for the whole thing. The, the DJs um, are fantastic in, in, in engaging them. And then the cricket obviously is, is the best cricket in the world, which, which certainly keeps them entertained. So it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And just being able to travel to each of the, the different venues for the IPL, it's a very privileged position, and you know each of the stadiums has its own, you know, amazing different atmosphere, different fans, different structure, and it's just it's just awesome. And I'd highly recommend it once once fans are allowed back in stands, whether it's this season, next season, or or whenever. A trip down to the IPL is is well worth it for any sports fan. Jake, you talk about the passion that the crowd has. As you said, not fueled by alcohol, but there's 35, 40,000 people there in a cricket-mad country, a cricket-mad market, highly engaged and excitable. Is there much scope for engaging them before the game? I know with, with sports like football in the UK, people just turn up to the game and then walk straight into the stadium. There's not a lot of activation in and around the stadium with, with sponsorships. Are Indian fans turning up early to games and just that excited to be there and that there's lots of scope to activate with sponsors out in precincts? It's a balance, I'd say. You're not going to have, obviously, the whole stadium there a couple of hours before, mainly because of the heat. However, what you will have is the hospitality areas. You'll have fans getting there early, and we have done activations with virtual reality and, and many other things to engage with our sponsors in this period. We have activations all in the concourse of the stadium as well particularly for, for night matches which are the majority these are, are really popular i think one balancing fact of india is people do generally work a bit later than than in in europe and, and the us and, and australia which means they may be coming to the games slightly closer to, to the start time however you, you've probably got 50 percent of the, the stadium there at least an hour or so before before the first ball is bowled because Again, how, how the IPL structured, the importance of the toss, the importance of the announcement of the teams and how far in advance that happens before a game means that the fans want to be there to see that. So that does give you a great opportunity to engage them with your sponsors. We've, we've actually always created sponsor branding all the way around the outside of our concourse. So that gives them a great reach. And then we give them a, a spot to do their activations as well. So it's uh, it's a bit mad, if I'm honest, going around the outside because there's just so many people so engaged. And, and um, being a, a tall white guy in a Rajasthan Royals jersey, you can get a little bit bombarded because people think you're maybe an injured player or something wandering about. <laughs> so I, I have to sort of time it effectively. But it is it's amazing to see. And, and the sponsors, sponsors love it because you've got thousands and thousands of fans super engaged around the brand and, and time to spend with it. The Royals have a fairly unique story from a sponsorship perspective, at least, in that you've been the first team Red Bull have sponsored without actually owning the team or the asset. Can you tell us 
a little bit about how you've managed to create such a diverse portfolio with your sponsorship because we know that the Royals do have that vision of being a proper global brand, not just a franchise in India. Yeah, so the Red Bull journey has been a fantastic one. We've built a really, really good relationship with them, which which started two or three years ago. We initially got them in as a pouring partner, but again, with all our partnerships, we look to go deeper than just simple, whether it's pouring rights or a spot on the jersey for cash. And with Red Bull, not only did we partner with them on their huge grassroots competition, Red Bull Campus Cricket, where we sent scouts along to, to look for talent and help promote the event. We also have worked with them on a documentary from last season, which will be being released in India next month and to the rest of the world probably a month after that. So that's really exciting. Unfortunately, the season didn't quite go as well as we hoped. However, what we, what we hope from the documentary is that it's a, a really honest look at how a franchise is run and sort of, yeah, just, a, just an honest approach um, and a really transparent view into an IPR franchise. But yeah, the Red Bull journey has been a fantastic one. And then moving them on to the jersey has been, been awesome. And, and for them to completely change their approach to do that with us shows the deep connection we've built. And not only that, but we've also innovated in combining the two um, non-leading arm positions. So they'll take up both of those, which gives them really good brand clarity on that, that side of the jersey and remove some of the clutter. So it's something we're looking to do on the jersey as much as possible. It is combined position so we can remove the clutter because when you've got 10 brands on their jersey and the trouser and the cap, there's, there's just a lot going on. So the more and more you can reduce that, the better um, visibility you give to your brands, which means the higher value you can generate from them. So that's been awesome with, with Red Bull. And, and yeah, we, we are trying to grow globally and, and get as many global brands on there and leading Indian brands as well, like Geo, who we've got as well. And it's building that sort of B2B community of, of these brands, which is quite exciting. So when a, a Red Bull comes on, they've already got links into Geo through us. They've got links into sort of other leading brands like Inox and others. So creating that community and creating the sort of gateway to India for international brands is something we're really focusing on. So that if an international brand is looking to launch or has launched in India, what better place to get the visibility they want through 800 million people watching the IPL, but also the connections to the industry, not only from our brands, but also the brands that other IPL teams have as sponsors or the IPL itself has as, as central sponsors. So that's been something we've had a really positive response to from, from global brands and something we'll continue to sort of um, push and focus on. I know you joined the franchise for the relaunch, so you haven't been there from day one, but what can you tell us about how the Royal sponsorship portfolio has evolved over the years? Because when the IPL first started, it was a huge unknown. In fact, 2020 cricket was pretty much still in the embryonic stages. It wasn't the powerhouse that it is today. A lot of people weren't even sure it was going to be a thing and, and survive. Were the sponsors in the early days more Indian focused with your franchise or did global brands really see the opportunities to get in on the ground floor to what has ultimately been a part of cricket that has exploded? I mean, I completely agree that when IPL was launched, T20 wasn't a you know widely followed format and, and IPL has, you know, basically launched it as that as that format that everyone gets so excited about today. 
in terms of the brands, it, it's a mix. If, if I, I look back recently at our sponsors from those years and, and other team sponsors, and there are leading Indian and global brands there, I think the global brands, you saw more of the, especially the sort of kitting partners, the likes of Reebok and others, and um, Puma who came in in the early days thinking that IPL would be a, a route to huge merchandise sales and big reach in India. What they found was back in 2008, that market wasn't there. There's a challenge in India that, uh, you know, there's not a big group of consumers who care about the official, having the official product. So if you're in the UK, US, you will not buy anything unless it's got that official tag on it. Whereas if you go to an IPL game, you're walking up to the match and you've got people selling, you know, fake jerseys for 100 rupees, which is about a dollar outside the stadium. And so, you know, fans generally are like, why would I spend $25, $30 on a shirt when I can get it for $1, even though it doesn't look as good? And so what we're, you know, the IPL has been on a journey of growing the importance of, you know, official kit. However, you know, the, these Pumas and Adidas's and guys came in early on. They then dropped out because it was going to take time. And I think they are brands that we'll see coming back in the near future because that market is now growing in India and the sort of middle class and the um, sort of 18 to, to 30 year olds portion of the market who's super excited by the IPL but also wants that official classy merchandise is growing. So that's sort of an exciting opportunity for us in the future. I read a stat that 38% of India's sports advertising goes into the IPL and there's been so much change happening in such a short space of time around the IPL. Tell us a little bit about your sponsorship strategy and your thoughts on how you think it's evolved from year to year. That is a is an incredible one and given the IPL's a 10-week tournament, the, the fact it attracts that much uh, sponsorship just shows the, the huge demand. And I mean, with, with 800 million people watching it, it you know, it, <laughs> there's a lot of value there for, for brands and sponsors. Um, I think what was exciting is actually the growth of OTT. It grew by almost 50% viewership from 2018 to 2019. And I think that, that platform will just continue to grow and grow, which is, which is super exciting for us. But with regards to our sponsorship strategy, I think that relaunching in 2018 was a challenge, given that you're coming back after two years out. We don't have, you know, we didn't have the star Indian player, players like Adoni that CSK did coming back. So we, we did have more sort of local brands at the start and more regional brands focused around Rajasthan. We then tried to move in 2019 after making the playoffs and, and building this journey towards a global franchise. We tried to get more sort of um, national leading brands on board. But also, again, it's it's not just who the brand is, it's what you do with the brand. So, for example, we got Inox on our, on our trouser. And not only do you get cash from that deal, but also they gave us a huge amount of inventory across their cinemas, across India. So then you've got immediate reach to millions of potential fans or current fans, and you can then monetize them in other ways going forwards. So 2019 was, again, yeah, growing the sponsorship deals, moving more into the national leading and approaching those global sponsors who sometimes take a year of conversation to then get them to the stage where they're committing to a jersey sponsorship. And like we talked about with Red Bull, you're building on a journey. So we started them with pouring partnership in a documentary last year. Now we've moved them through into, you know, non-leading arm jersey sponsorship in two positions. And who knows where we can move them to in the future. 
So it's always building these brands on this journey. And now, as I said earlier, we're looking to, to secure more global brands and national leading brands on the jersey. We're looking to uh, merge sponsorship spots wherever we can to give the greatest brand visibility. And we're looking to you know, ask the brands what they really want to achieve. So if I'm meeting a, a, a global potential brand partner, the first question is, what are you looking for out of this partnership and how can we support you? And it's having that relationship with a brand where it's not just we've got this huge amount of reach, this is great. It's how do we create some really tailored content that targets your consumer? Or how do we use our assets to really benefit you and give you the reach and then the ROI that you require to get this approval internally and, and then build a really long-term partnership where our brands are synergistic and, and just known together. And hence that, that value to each other continues to grow. So I think that's the sort of vision. We'd love to have you know, a set of partners that we have on there for five, 10 years together and really build that deep integration between them and produce some amazing content for, for them. You talk about taking brands on a journey and taking that great approach that, to be fair, is the right approach about asking them what they're looking for and how you can support them rather than just trying to sell them prepackaged sponsorships. Part of that focus and evolution of the industry and particularly franchises like yourself is how you take sponsorships past simply brand reach because for want of a better phrase, it's almost seductive, the reach that you can give a brand in India, but really build the brand and the connection with various aspects of the franchise. Can you talk us through some examples of when you've done that for brands? Absolutely. And I, I know I've touched on a couple already, but I'll just briefly go through them again. With with Red Bull, we, we talked about Red Bull Canvas Cricket and, and grassroots is so important to us. So when we were talking to them about how we could work together, that just tone resonated with both of us. And it, Red Bull is an interesting one because we're not, we're not the biggest, most followed team in the IPL. We've got a very good win record. I think we're third or fourth in terms of overall win percentage. However, we have only won the tournament once. Um, and we are based in Rajasthan, which is in a you know, big metro city. So there are challenges and there are teams with you know, bigger followings. However, what we look to do is partner with brands that have those synergies with us. Grassroots Cricket was, was one of those. And even before IPL, we launched a competition called Cricket Star, which was basically like Million Dollar Arm, if you've seen that film. So we actually launched that before, before they did that in baseball to find the next Indian cricket talent. And we actually ended up signing a couple of players who played for us in the IPL. So it turned out that one of the, the people at Red Bull had actually been part of that cricket star competition. <laughs> um, and and that, that, that link was just amazing to, to kick things off. But they said to us, look, we could make more money if we partnered with a Mumbai. We could get more uh, you know, can sales. But in the long run, we can build a much deeper, more integrated partnership with you that will benefit both of our brands a lot more. And we want to be with people who have the same passions, drives and, and focus areas as us. So, you know, that was fantastic to hear and, and hence why we've been able to build this partnership with JK Lakshmi, our, our front of shirt sponsor last year. Again, they had, we asked them what were their aims and how we could work together. They wanted a, a huge amount of visibility. So we said that, why don't you work with us? You um, create a fan army and then you bring that to every, every match we play this year. We will, you know, we'll supply the, the merchandise for that. 
and then you get great visibility and we get a presence in each of the stadiums. And so they sent about 1,000 fans to every match, home and away, which gave us a, a fantastic presence, especially because we had the pink jerseys. And they got a huge amount of coverage because if you've got, whether it's 100 or 1,000 fans sat together in a stadium, if you're in RCB and they're all red or you're in yellow and you're there as this little pink, pink square making a huge amount of noise, you're going to get the, the, the star cameras on you, which is going to be amazing for your brand. So that's another way we work well with them. They also provided us billboards all across Rajasthan, which gave both them reach and us reach, which is a great synergy. And then Inox was another one we touched on where they gave huge inventory. Before every movie in an Inox cinema, we had our brand film played. And they also did sort of ticket competitions where we could build our database, which is, again, integral for building our fan base and then engaging with them and giving them that personalized content and feel that the means they grow as a fan and you can monetize them in the future. The IPL is now 13 years old with eight teams. And, and despite the competition only running for, as you said earlier, it only runs for 10 weeks a year. The viewership and engagement numbers, and we keep coming back to it, they are incredible. How do you see IPL teams competing with other rights holders around the globe, particularly those like the NFL or the EPL for global sponsorship dollars, especially when they have such longer seasons. And and in cases like the NFL, they're working really hard to create full year engaging content that tries to cover the whole year. They're trying to make content around drafts and preseason camps and, and things like that. How do you see IPL franchises competing on that front when it's such a condensed competition? On the global sponsorship side, I, I don't actually see it as competition, given that if you're looking to grow in India, then we're the way to do that. Um, the competition is then more between the eight franchises and the IPL. There's no there's no better way to, to grow your brand in India than through the IPL. So the positive is I don't think we are competing with these teams. Um, if a brand is in it and you're looking to grow in that market, then then they will look to a, an IPL franchise to do that. And and hopefully through our sort of track record with global sponsors and the relationship we build with them, we will be the team that resonates sort of most most strongly with these brands. And then we can build something really, really big for the future. I think I think the 365-day engagement piece is absolutely key and something that's really important for us as a franchise, just engaging our fans on a basic level through these camps, as you mentioned, through different competitions, through the auction and, and all these other content pillars through the year. But also it's it's how we engage fans with our brands and our sponsors, how we create great digital content for them, but also how we track the performance of that content to enable our brands that we're partnering with to see the, the performance. So we partner with a, a sort of analytics um, company which tells us the value of posts that we've generated for brands. So we can say on a monthly basis to a Red Bull, we've generated $500,000 worth of value, media value from the content we've produced for you and distributed on social, which means the guy in Red Bull can then say, I mean, we speak to the CEO, so it's an easy conversation. But if you're, if you're in a bigger global brand and you're speaking to the head of marketing, he can then go to a CEO and say, you know, Rajasthan Royals partnership is generating $500,000 every month. We're only paying $500,000 for, for this position. This is a fantastic return on investment. In addition, that's just social. We've got the 
media reach from the main TV. We've got these activations that we're doing together, um, et cetera, et cetera, which then means you're going to extend the partnership. You're going to grow the partnerships in terms of value, and you're going to create a huge amounts of benefit for the brand you're working with. Following on from that, the Royal's global expansion strategy includes things like online education, academies, and we keep coming back to it, that broad digital engagement. Some of those things like online education and digital engagement, they're not restricted by location and physical boundaries or borders. You don't have to be there to be engaged with the franchise. How do you prioritize local versus international sponsorship deals on those fronts? What's exciting with these additional sort of ancillary both revenue streams and verticals is the database you build in those countries. So through online education, we've had people from in 20 different countries sign up for our courses. Um, and then as you, you know, go through, add more courses and build this whole vertical, we will be having a database of thousands of people who have taken the course in, in these different countries, which then becomes very valuable for brands in those countries. And that you can use it as a highlight point of how you can work together. So that's one way. The Digital Academy is a similar thing we're, we're launching. And, and again, illustrating the fact we've got, say, 100,000 cricket players in, in the UK who are regularly sending videos through engaging on the platform becomes very attractive. So I, think, I don't think it's a sort of prioritization between local and international. I think we're, we're looking to, to partner with leading brands, whether they be leading national brands or, or international brands, but mainly we want to partner with brands who have synergies with us, have the same values as us, and we can really um, partner and partner for a long period together to create a lot of value. So I think that's that's the best way of sort of summarizing it, brands that all add value to, to each other as well um, through that sort of B2B network. I'm highly curious about the challenges you may face with player assets because given the IPL only runs for 10 weeks, how challenging is it to manage player IP and appearances and generally getting the talent to buy into what you're trying to achieve as a franchise long-term when those players might not be long-term players for your franchise? <laughs> it's certainly a fun challenge, um, but particularly when you've got players arriving so close before the first match or sometimes after the first match, given the tight international schedule, you can have situations where you've really just got to squeeze these, squeeze the TV shoots and, and, and media pieces in to very tight calendars. If you look at the IPL, you've got a game every three days, pretty much. Um, and so, you know, there have historically been comments about players coming across for the money and, and stuff like that, which I think is firstly far from the truth, given that, it's the best competition in the world and you want to be testing yourself against the best players. But also, you know, it's an extremely intense period where you do a huge amount other, other than just cricket training and, and performing, which doesn't get seen by, you know, the fan around the world. So, you know, we have the capacity to do 10 sponsor events with, with every player. And so if you imagine a player coming in, say, three days before match one, and you've only got a one-day gap between your games throughout the rest of the season and maybe one period in the middle, that's, you know, that's a really tight schedule that you've got to try and you know, give the value to your sponsors you promised, but also ensure the player stays fit, focused and, and energised towards the main goal of winning the IPL. So it's a, it's a challenge. I think we've, we've, been, we've improved in terms of our strictness with sponsors in terms of timings and how 
we really brief them well and brief the players well to make it as efficient as possible. And if it's the fact is, if it's fun, the players enjoy it, and you know they don't they don't mind spending their time doing it. It's when there's multiple multiple shoots and it's inefficient that you then get the frustration. So we've certainly learned a lot in that process. But our you know our brands were extremely happy last year, and before COVID hit, we'd already got the majority of our sponsor shoots you know time slotted in. Um, which took a lot of time in itself, but um, yeah, it's it's a challenge, but it's something you have to deal with. All IPL teams have to deal with, and we always find a way to find the solutions. I wanted to pick up on that reference to Deakin University earlier in the show because education seems to be a fairly prevalent thing across all of the Royals' social channels, and you've recently struck a deal with Australia's Deakin University, which is testament to that approach. How does an IPL team in India connect with an Australian university? How did it evolve, and what does the sponsorship entail? The partnership actually started, we've had four years partnering with them, so it started two years, I think it started in 2013, and then there was a gap, and then and then relaunched. And Deakin have a huge presence in India. So it's yes, it's a it's an Australian university, but they've got a, a huge presence in this country and they've got a huge amount of students that go across from from India to Australia to study there. So it, it had sort of the perfect synergies with us. We've had a sort of strong history of Australian cricketers with Shane Warne, Shane Watson, and now Steve Smith as our captain. Um, so that's a simple synergy between the two. But also our brand being the global IPL team was a great one for them to partner with to help sort of drive the flow of students um, towards their brand. So that again started with sort of meet and greets and panel discussions and really looking to drive innovation or the discussion around innovation within sport. And I visited the university last last summer and we spoke about how we can sort of strengthen this partnership and and do more, especially in this digital age. And we we actually learned from the Barcelona Innovation Hub and thought, saw online education as a huge opportunity. And thankfully, they were completely aligned with this and we've launched these two courses and are lo- looking to launch more. And what's great about these courses is, is a combination of the sort of rigor of a Deakin course, which is one of the best institutions in the world for sports management, and then also the sort of case studies of an IPL franchise. So we have sort of video content from our different departments talking about sort of case studies that we've had to deal with ourselves. So whether it be the move to pink or playing in two stadiums this year and why we're doing that and how you engage fans in a new a new uh, geography. These are all sort of real life case studies that the consumer of the, the course gets to sort of test themselves with, learn from, and we can continue to update the course to keep it really fresh and new. So that's quite exciting and, and has had a great response so far. So that partnership with Deakin continues to grow and it's been a, a fantastic one. Very interesting. Jake, let's talk about the famous IPL auction for a moment. For listeners who aren't quite aware, approximately 80 to 90 million US dollars is spent across two days and 75% of a team's players are put back up for auction every three years. Now, that creates a super competitive environment where there is effectively a huge need to build engagement around the franchise rather than the players themselves. Jake, what's your strategy and approach around keeping sponsors engaged with the Royals brand and franchise when you do have so much player turnover? You're spot on with building your fan base around your brand rather than star players. And 
and it's something we've really focused on given we've not we've had you know fantastic talented players we had global stars and, and a lot of indian stars however we've always looked to build Rajasthan royals as a brand in itself and not rely on that one one key player so that's that's integral because it means you're not going into a, an auction under pressure that um, you have to buy someone just for their brand, which I think is important because we're driven by cricket decisions and that's that's the priority. I would highlight that the big auction every every three years, I think about 80 to 90 million actually dollars are spent across the teams across a day or two, which which is an you know, incredible amount of, of money. And, and you know what's amazing is you're investing in a huge amount of young Indian talent which then get the opportunity to progress, develop, and, and that makes a huge difference in their life. But in terms of keeping sponsors engaged, it's, it's just aligning them with the brand rather than, just, rather than the individual. Yes, if we had two players of exactly the same quality, exactly the same role in the side, and one had a following of 5 million and one 50,000, and they have the same personality, we would pick the one with 5 million. However, that doesn't come into our thinking when we're looking at building the squad because you have a strict squad size of 25 and every player needs to be able to come in to, to win a match for you at some point in the tournament. So if you look at the auction this year, we actually signed, as is our sort of long-term policy of, of providing a platform for youngsters to perform, we signed a lot of young, talented players. However, we are confident that when they will be called upon in, in the IPL, we believe that they can win us a match. And that's that's amazing how sort of Indian cricket's transition that you've got, you know, we're signing 17, 18 year old cricketers that we believe could step up while being watched by 800 million people against the best in the world and perform and execute their skills and win us games of cricket, which is super exciting. And the bravery of those players is amazing to see. So I think, as you said in the question, the main thing is building the fan base around the brand so sponsors aren't impacted. And if you build a deep association between the two, you can create you know, amazing content which with, that, with whichever players you have, which is the most important thing. The Rajasthan Royals are now renowned for being one of the most innovative and entertaining brands in cricket. And in some way, that's due to using a lot of tech in high performance, giving youth a big platform from which to launch, and also attracting global stars, which you've referenced earlier. How do you leverage that into your sponsorship strategy when you're talking about bringing brands on board? I think innovation can come in, in a number of ways. As you said, tech is, is an important one and, and how you innovate through the digital platform is, is integral to brands at the moment. And I think we'll see a lot more in the future, you know, teams and brands using um, augmented reality and virtual reality to, to engage fans. And especially with matches being behind closed doors, there's a huge opportunity to do this. Can you create that virtual environment where a fan can come into the stadium even when they're at home. They can see all that sponsored branding. They can maybe have the same sort of activations there. So there's, there's lots of cool innovations going on there and opportunities for the future to add value, add value really to the fans' experience pre-game, but also then add that reach to your sponsors. So I think that's one piece. I think data is, is integral in how you analyze and, and process that data, having you know really high-quality CRM system and personalizing the content that goes to fans and segmenting those fans can add a lot of value because you don't want fans in the US getting the same content as fans in India because they won't want the same content and you want to target them in different ways. So I think that's that's really important. And again, the sponsors bought onto that because if it's if it's branded content, you want to target it at the right time to the right consumer. 
So I think content's, content's king. As you say, we use it, you know, we're, we're probably the leaders within performance side on the cricket side, whether it's straight back technology where we track the 360 movement of the bat to catapult to, to other technology I can't, can't share with anyone <laughs> because it's confidential. Um, we do like, you know, we do believe we lead in that space all the way through to the data science um, preparation for the auction. So, you know, we use it across the border and certainly are looking to integrate it into our sponsorship partnerships wherever possible. Sporting codes all around the world are facing the likelihood or even the reality at the moment of, of competitions or seasons being played behind closed doors, so no fans. Given your high level of fan engagement and how much value that generates, how important is it to ensure the Royals brand, that, that the quality doesn't drop during this time? And I'm particularly interested around your thoughts about what role your sponsors can play because you talk about having real partnerships with the sponsors. I'm curious about what role you see that your sponsors can play in helping keep that brand quality and engagement alive when we might not be able to have fans in the stadium. The integral point you've commented on, especially with the IPL, where the atmosphere at the ground is so important, and that way the atmosphere comes through on the TV is is integral for fans watching it at home and and gives them that excitement. So replicating that atmosphere is going to be you know a really important thing that Star I know are focusing on at the moment, and they will be working with their central sponsors with regards to different innovations. I'm sure. As I mentioned with ours, we'll certainly be looking on the sort of, as I said, AR, VR space in terms of that pre-game, during-game, post-game fan experience. How do we integrate them? How do we give that stadium feel and have our brand activations present will be really important. I think also what we can do around sort of viewing parties within the home. So even if people are socially distancing or, or not, you know, within your own household, can we create packages that we can send to to fans that we can have, you know, partner pieces in. So obviously you have your, your Red Bull cans in there, but also what else can you have which engages your other partners and creates that connection with the fan? Um, I think that's quite an interesting interesting one that I've seen the US teams doing really well. So I think that's a, another opportunity. And and it's something we're talking with all our brands. And, and one of the most important things is having that open conversation and sharing innovations with each other. That means you get the best out of the partnership. It's not that you're just both you know thinking now let's just hope the IPL happens it's already thinking when the IPL happens how can we innovate to, to drive deep engagement for both our brands personally I think it's a quite an exciting time it forces innovation and creativity and people to put their heads together that will hopefully make the experience for all fans in the stadium and also outside the stadium as you said at home those opportunities to put some things in place that that really drives engagement even more rather than uh, sporting organizations almost kind of just going through the motions each year and yes there's a little bit of innovation but this has really been a driving force because it is hard these days to talk sport business without mentioning COVID-19 a few times and I just asked about the role sponsors are playing at this time to help you through it but can you share with us some of the innovative or or unique things that the franchise has implemented I'm sure content is going to be front and center that that sponsorship related during this time to, to help keep things ticking over because you do have a fan base that really wants that content from the franchise Exactly. Content has been king. And as I said, the the ability to have that training camp prior to COVID and have those jerseys with the sponsor sponsor logos present does 
has been sort of immensely helpful in, in creating that reach for those brands. And that footage, you know, is still going out in different forms. And we've got a fantastic digital team and digital agency who have innovated themselves in, in reformatting this content into creative ways. And it's all about, you know, a basic video of someone batting the net actually can get huge reach, but you can also convert that into lots of different formats. So for example, we've combined that sort of video with pop culture to create many TikTok videos where you have, you know, Yashas V. Jaiswell hitting a six out the ground and then it going to a movie clip where it's hitting someone in the head and everyone's laughing and it's all great fun. But that sort of Indian culture, which, you know, goes down immensely well on TikTok, has seen a lot of success. And then, you know, the brand is getting visibility through the jersey at the start of that. Um, we've also done podcasts, we've done webinars, and, you know, not on the sponsorship side, but one really important focus we've had is on the sort of social impact side. Our foundation work, when the lockdown happened, there was a serious issue with daily wage workers having having no work. And so, struggling with starvation and so we immediately provided a hundred thousand meals to them in Rajasthan but we also partnered with Facebook to do a fundraising initiative where I mean it was amazing to see our management players support staff all contributing to this but also our fans and through that social fundraising mention you've got the fans engaging you've got your partners engaging and it's it's a really sort of great initiative which has such an important cause um, but bringing sort of the whole Redstone Royals community together, which was which was amazing to see. Jake, last question. How do you see the sponsorship and commercial landscape evolving around the IPL in the coming years? Are there any any trends or, or big opportunities that you see? As I mentioned a couple of times, we hope to see more global brands on our on our jersey. We think it's you know the IPL is the perfect way to to reach you know eight hundred million people in, in India. And also, if you're moving your offices, for example, there, it's a great way to engage your own management team, which is integral to the majority of brands, um, and give them something really to be passionate about and drive them. So it's great for employee engagement as well, which we've seen being really important with some of the brands we've been talking to. So I think more global brands entering the space will certainly happen. I think, you know, with with certain, certain sort of teams, you may just see the consistent national brands being there, more regional brands. And we hope to sort of drive the innovation and, and the growth of the global reach of this, this tournament through getting more of these brands involved and then partnering with them and using them to help expand the reach in, in the countries where they're present. So, yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say glo- more global brands entering. I'd see more of the leading kit players entering within the next five years as well. Um, so you'll hopefully see the return of the likes of Adidas and Nikes and Pumas, et cetera which will be exciting. And one question will be whether there'll be sort of central licensing and merchandising deals in the future with IPL teams combining to do stuff, which could be quite an interesting proposition because then you've got all of the brands together, you've got huge reach potential for, for the brands engaging with them. And it's a, a different model, which has worked really well in US sports. Lots of work there for you, Jake, but also very exciting, and I'm sure we all look forward to seeing what evolves there. Jake, if people want to find out more about the Royals or connect with you and and continue the conversation, where can they go? What can they do? Well, if they want to connect with me, they can can find me on LinkedIn. If they want to find out more about the Royals, do check out all of our social media channels, our website, registandroyals.com, or our YouTube channel. So there's a huge amount of content on there, hopefully, 
you don't procrastinate too much and, and take yourself away from the way too much, but I'm sure you can spend a good few hours enjoying the content we've produced over the last few months and, and years. And of course, we will have the links to all of those in the show notes at coresoftware.com. Jake Lash McCrum, Chief Operating Officer, thank you so much for joining us on the show and taking us inside the commercial program of the Rajasthan Royals. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Jake for coming on the show and taking us inside the Rajasthan Royals. I'm not sure about you, but I'm absolutely fascinated around the work that goes into the commercial program at the Rajasthan Royals in building a global brand around the high turnover of players that they have to go through and a tournament that is only 10 weeks of game time. You can connect with Jake on LinkedIn and visit the Rajasthan Royals website for more information. Of course, all the links are in the show notes at coresoftware.com. That's a wrap for episode 85. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember to get in contact, drop me a line and say hi, and I'll give you a shout out on the show, just like Michael, Brad and Arvi. Seriously, I get a huge buzz out of hearing from you, even if you've reached out before. So please indulge me. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S. T-O-N. And if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial director, APAC, Daniel Collier-Hill, you can catch him on daniel.collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R, at coresoftware.com, or search for him on LinkedIn as well. If you want to connect with Core Software's VP Sales, Derek Stanick at coresoftware.com. That's D-E-R-E-K for Derek and S-T-A-N-E-K for Stanick. Or search for him on LinkedIn as well. If you want to connect with Core Software's VP Commercial and Strategy, E-M-E-A, Alex Hay, You can catch him on alex.hay at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston and thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.